0: Go ahead and go to Romans chapter 6. Um, we're not going to do the Scripture reading for it tonight, because uh, I'm going to be going through the whole chapter anyway. But Romans chapter 6, I want to start off reading just one verse, and then we're going to kind of go back and we're going to go through this whole chapter. But verse 14 of Romans chapter 6 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, For ye are not under the law, but under grace. The title of the message tonight is just Under Grace. We're going to talk about what that means to be under grace. Because when it comes to that one verse right there, this is another verse that you've got uh, two opposing sides that often take it to two extremes and and they get it wrong. And in what we would call, what I call the trendies, the New independent Baptist crowd, not to be mistaken with the new IFB crowd. All right, These are the skinny jeans, rock and roll, contemporary preachers. Whenever they talk about being under grace, all right, it's basically them turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. I mean, they don't want to preach against anything. The only hard preaching they do is they preach against hard preaching. And it's like all you guys, you know, you get up and you preach on the law and stuff like that, you know, we're not under the law, we're under grace. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches, and they do, and they just go so crazy liberal. I mean, they, they don't get specific on anything. You'll never hear them just get up and let a rip on anything. It's just all, we're all under grace. And it always, being under grace for them, always leads to just being flaming liberals. It leads to just, I mean, the, the women in the church dress terrible. The music goes south. Every time these people who talk about being under grace, they just, they take that and they use it as an excuse to sin. And they allow all kinds of junk in the church. And I'm telling you, a lot of this crowd, you know, it's led by this Josh Ties guy. They, they For several years, they've been having these idea days. And they have been influencing preachers in a negative way for a long time now. And I, I've got no problem with preachers getting together and talking about ideas and discussing how they do things. I talk with some of my pastor friends. Hey, How do you do this? How do you run this? When I go visit other churches, I watch how they do stuff, and I learn from it. And if I see somebody's doing something that works good or that's effective, I'm going to copy it. I don't think it's wrong to do it, but here's my problem. I just have a problem with their ideas. Because their ideas are always bad. It's always just, you know, they're just encouraging liberalism. They are embracing heretics. uh, Their next one they have coming up, I was looking at it, their main speaker they have is a Southern Baptist. And these guys are supposed to be independent Baptists, but they look like Southern Baptists. They preach like Southern Baptists. They have Southern Baptists come in. They even have, I was watching, they've got this one just flaming, I mean, just queer dude that, I mean, he's married to a woman. It's pictures from his ordination. They have women up there participating in the ordination, laying hands on him. The pastor's wife is up there laying hands on this man. Well, where do we see that in the Bible? Where do we see women helping ordain the men? This guy, Akeem, he's he's going to go start a church. It was going to be San Francisco, which was kind of a question. You know, now it's Oakland, close enough, I guess. And You know, his wife's up there, you know, wearing a skirt well above her knees. I mean, showing thought. That's pretty clear in the Bible that's uncovering your nakedness. That's pretty clear in the Bible. And right up there on the stage in church, and this this guy, this church is leading many independent Baptists. And when you listen to these people talk about being under grace, that's what it means to them. It means many skirts, it means queer effeminate guys. It means rock and roll music. It's, their churches look like nightclubs. It's absolutely disgusting. These guys are so queer that, that Akeem guy, and one of the, somebody showed a picture, they have like his staff or their group, they're all there from their church. He's holding hands with the dude. He's like, his wife's there on one side of him, and then he's got this guy, and they're kind of down on a knee, and he's got his hand on top of the guy, you know, like, like you would do with your wife or something. I don't get it. I, I, actually, I think I do get it. It's, it's disturbing. And it's like being queer, being effeminate, all things that the Bible is against, that's considered under grace to these people. That is turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. But then on the other side, you've got the old IFB crowd that rightfully preaches against these trendies. They preach against that junk, they preach against liberalism they 've taken strong stands for you know conservative music for dress standards, and thank God for that, but the thing is the old IFB, they 're just slowly losing all their crowd to the trendies they're not they 're not winning anybody back they 're not even hanging on to what they got They have some they 're hanging on to, but overall, they keep losing people to these trendies. How are you losing people to the, to the trendies how, you know how does If you promote manliness, you know, I just, I don't understand. I have no desire to follow these guys to the the trendies. I don't get it. I don't know why the old IV is losing them, but they also, they like to preach on this verse about not being under the law and under grace, trying to refute what these guys are teaching, and they should try to refute what these guys are teaching, but the problem is, you know, they kind of take it to another extreme the other way. You know, they start teaching if a person truly is saved, that they will repent of their sins. Basically, a person's justification is in their changed life. Well, the problem is, you start teaching that, you're going, to, you're going to keep your people in bondage in church because they're not going to be able to have victory in their life because they're going to be basing their salvation off what they do instead of what Christ already did. Now they're not going to be free to walk in the Spirit. They're not going to have that assurance. They're not going to have that freedom and it, it, the end result is, you know, they're just going to struggle. And they're gonna be like, you know what? I'm always feeling bad on this end. I just can't seem to live up to the law. And I just can't seem to be good enough. And I can't figure out if I'm saved because I just, I still struggle with sin. And the, apparently these guys are teaching, if you're saved, you're not going to struggle with sin anymore. But that's not right either. Both of these groups are dead wrong. And, you know, I hate saying Middle of the road, because you know, when we think of middle of the road, you think compromise, right? When you think middle of the road, you think, you know, you usually think of something in between Republicans and Democrats. You know, John McCain, who always tried to be that middle of the road guy, and you know, and so, you know, I hate using that term, but the truth is, you know, being middle of the road is actually what we should be, not in between, you know, a false right-left paradigm. But just being in the middle of the road, in other words, staying straight in the Scriptures. Did you know we shouldn't get more strict than God is? We shouldn't do that. And we shouldn't get more liberal either. We're not supposed to turn to the right hand or to the left hand. So, when it comes to under grace, what is the truth about this? What is it that we need to know? Well, here's here's why the old IFB is missing it. It's because they don't like to use a whole lot of Scripture when they preach. And therefore, they miss a lot of things. Here's why the new, uh, or the new independent Baptists are missing it. Because they don't use any scripture when they preach. So this is why, this is why they're missing it. You know, they'll just use under grace. It's right there. It's under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. They'll just take that one verse. So what we've got to do to do, give this subject justice is we actually, I'm sorry, there's no other way to do this except for to actually look at the entire chapter. And folks, not just the entire chapter. We've even got to look at a few verses in the previous chapter too. And we're going to have to look at a few verses even in the next chapter. I hate to do that. All right? I know, you know we came to church and you didn't expect to hear a lot of Bible. But sometimes that's what you have to do in order to understand the context of a scripture. You have to know what all he's been talking about. You don't just get to take a line and run with it. And that's what people do. And the dispensationalists on the other end too, we'll cover some of the stuff they teach about this, they are they are way off. And I don't know if it's the right and left or just outer space where they're at on this passage, but when you actually look at everything... You're going to see these people don't know what they're talking about. So let's go to chapter 5, verse 19, all right? We should, you know, to do this justice, you almost need to read the whole book of Romans. All right? I'm not even going to try doing that tonight. But look at verse 19 of chapter 5. It says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice what it says there. So when it talks about by one man's disobedience, that's talking about Adam. Adam brought sin into the world. And then look at this. So moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now what does that mean? The law entered that the offense might abound... But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You know what it looks like there? It's like if you, if you add, do you realize if we add laws, it only makes people more of a lawbreaker? Did you know there's been people before that were not lawbreakers? And then all of a sudden a new law was made, and now they become lawbreakers. You know? And you might say, well, that's not fair. You know, why did God have to make extra laws? If God doesn't like sin, if God doesn't like lawbreakers, why is he making all these extra laws? That's just making sin abound even more. Why would he do that? Well, there's a very good reason. We don't, once again, we don't have time to go through everything, but here's why. Because before the law came, before God gave Moses the law, y'all realize there weren't a whole lot of commandments, were there? For example, the laws for you know, just um, only marrying one person instead of multiple wives, that didn't come until later. In the beginning, there was only one law, not to eat the fruit of the tree of the garden of good and evil. But here's the thing, man transgressed that one law. And here's why laws started adding, because man was already sinful, man was already condemned, but the more laws come, the more obvious it is to man that they're sinful and that they need Christ. Because do you realize if God would have only done five commandments instead of ten commandments, man would still be sinful and on their way to hell? If there would have only been one commandment instead of ten commandments, man would be sinful and on their way to hell. So it's actually better that, it's, that there's ten, because it makes it easier for people to see themselves as sinful. Because So where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So those extra laws which made extra sins, it didn't necessarily make it harder for us to get saved, because grace did much more abound. So God wasn't doing more to condemn us, by adding extra laws, he was just making it much more clear that we need a Savior. So that's what that's talking about. And so you know what? We're did abound, grace did much more abound. So thankfully, God added some laws. That got man in even more trouble. But you know what? Grace did much more abound. Nobody's going to go to hell because God made more laws. Because God made more laws, it made it more obvious that people need a Savior. Therefore, more people are going to go to heaven because of it. Because more people will recognize, I need a savior. That's what that's talking about that, right there. So that sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ the Lord. Chapter 6. What shall we say then? Alright. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Why is he saying this? Because of the fact that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Grace is going to take care of us. If we're a sinner, if we're a transgressor, grace is going to take care of us. We don't have to worry about earning it. We don't have to worry about merit. Grace is going to come through for us, and we're still going to be saved, even though we are abounding in transgression. But should we take advantage of that? Absolutely not. That's what he said. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we, that are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection." So just because grace will abound, it doesn't mean we should take advantage of grace. See, we're not like him yet. We're not like him yet. We will be. Okay, But notice, because because we're going to be like him, it says in there that we should walk in newness of life. Because we're going to be like him someday, we should act like it. Because we are saved, we ought to act like Christ. These are things that we should do. But just because we should do something, it doesn't guarantee we are going to do something. We do not see a guarantee in here that if a person is saved, they will follow the law. They will be obedient. The Bible doesn't teach that. And if it was a guarantee, why give the command? Right, if it's just automatic that we're going to do it, why would we be commanded? If we were guaranteed being saved that we would do good works, then why would Paul tell people that they which believed be careful to maintain good works? Why would he, why would he need to say these things? It's just automatic, right? But no, it's not automatic because we still have the flesh, we still have the old man, and that's where chapter seven and eight come in, which we're not going to have time to get into all of that. And Paul covers that in chapter seven and eight, but that he's saying here these are things that we should do. Look at verse six: knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, and the body of sin that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice here in these verses. Well, uh, let's read uh, verse. Let's read a couple more verses before I get into this. So, verse twelve. Let not sin therefore reign your mortal body that ye should obey it and the lesser of. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So right here, this is trying to show us what our mindset should be and how we should live our lives. Since Christ was victorious, we can be victorious. That's what it's talking about in verse 6 and 7. Our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That we should not for, uh, henceforth serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin it says see what it's teaching right here is before we were saved we didn't have a choice okay before we got saved we didn't have a choice we were only able to walk in sin you can't walk in the spirit if you don't have the spirit and he's saying now we have we now have a choice and um you know the uh, look at in verse 11 so he says likewise reckon ye also yourselves, to be dead indeed unto sin. All right, what's that word reckon me? Okay, now if you're a Southerner, you would know what reckon me. You, know, right, you know, I reckon this, and uh, we, we don't use that word that often, but it's basically, you know, this is how we should think of ourselves. This is how we should look at ourselves. That Okay, yeah, I've still got the same flesh that I had when I was lost. So I'm still capable of sin, but I also have the Holy Spirit living with inside of me. And just as Jesus Christ was victory in His flesh over sin, just as Jesus Christ was victory, got victory over death and rose from the dead, just as Jesus Christ got victory and never sinned one time in His life, I have His Spirit. I have the ability to have victory. I don't have to give in to sin. I can actually say no to sin. His Holy Spirit will help me because I have Him inside of me. Just as He is victorious, I can be victorious and so I am to reckon myself, I am to see myself as being dead to sin. So in other words, the way I look at it is whenever that sin comes along, whenever I face that temptation, if I'm like that alcoholic, I don't have to look at that bottle and say, I'm an alcoholic. I can't help it. I have a disease. And then give in to it and keep going to that bottle. You know what I can do? I can look at that and say, you know what, I'm tempted to do that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to sin. And you all see where that mindset can help? You know how many people have this defeatist attitude that I just can't help it? I can't help my temper. I can't help my anger issues. I can't help my this. I can't help my that. Well, if you're saved, you you can help it. The Holy Spirit will help you. And what you need to start doing is you start, need to start reckoning yourself as victorious because He is victorious. That's how you need to think of yourself. That's how you need to look at your life. So in other words, we don't have any excuses for doing wrong. Look at what it says in verse 12. So look at what he says. He says, "...let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God." As those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know what you need to do? You need to realize, hey, you're living now. You're not dead in your trespasses and sin. You actually can put up a fight. And actually, it turns out, it is up to you what you're going to do. And you know what you need to do? You need to yield your members or your body instruments of righteousness. In other words, you're going to follow the Holy Spirit. And it's saying, don't yield yourself. To the things of the flesh. Do not yield yourself to sin. Because remember what it said? He said, when we got saved, we were freed from sin. Okay? We were freed from sin. That doesn't mean that sin cannot do anything to us. Or that we can't let sins do something to us. See, there are some people, that maybe they are. They are in, you can say they're, they're, they're captive. There's people that are locked up in prison. They can't get out, all right? And therefore, if you're in prison, for example, you can't come to church, can you? People who are in prison right now, there's people out at the Dixon prison and Thompson prison, they can't come to church here. Why? Because they're not free. They are locked up. Therefore, they're not going to be able to come to services here. But people who are free, okay, they can. But here's the thing. If they, they're not careful, they can yield to the flesh. And even though they're not in prison, they will allow the thing their flesh to stop them from doing what those who are in prison cannot do. Y'all see where I'm going with this? There's some people that literally can't help it, but do you realize there's people who can help it that are getting the same results as people who can't help it? There's people who are not in prison, yet they can't seem to get to church. And it's not that they can't, it's that they won't. And so they're in. They have found themselves doing the same things as those who are locked up. Okay, if you're locked up in prison, you—I know, mean, I guess you can witness the people in prison, but you can't go door to door soul winning. You can't go on a mission trip. You can't do anything like that. But there's people today who they're free. They're not in prison. They could do these things, but because they are yielding their members to the things of the flesh, to sin. They are accomplishing the exact same thing as those who are in prison are doing. So when the Bible saying we're free from sin, it's not teaching that we will never sin. It's just teaching we now have a choice. So if sin is reigning in my life, it's because I'm letting it. That's all there is to it. I'm allowing it to. I'm yielding to it. Okay. I have the ability to resist it. All right? My daughter Lana, she's very small. All right? She is weak. In comparison to me, but I could let her order me around. Okay? I'm free. As a parent, I can either boss her around and tell her what to do, or I can let her, you know, run the show. I could, I could let her give the orders and tell me what to do. But for her to be able to get me to do what she wants me to do, I have to yield to her. But does that mean I'm now in bondage? No, I'm free. I have a choice. I'm bigger than she is. You know, I've got, and it's the same thing when people give in to sin. It's not that sin has control. Okay, If you're saved and sin's getting victory in your life, it's not because it's too strong. It's because you're yielding to it. It's because you're letting it have its way and you don't have to do that. You have a choice. And you got all these Christians, oh, you know, like people. I, I fell into sin. You know, I, I can't help it. I just can't seem to get victory. Why not? If you're saved, you're free from those things. If you're and if you're still suffering in those areas, it's because you're yielding your members to them. You're you are submitting to sin and to the things of the flesh. So y'all get what I'm saying on that. That's what it's talking about. When it's talking about being freed from sin, it doesn't mean we're never going to sin. You can be free from something. You know, I guess if I wanted to, if the government just decided, you know what, we're freeing you from taxes. You don't ever have to pay taxes. Well, if I was an idiot, I could just pay them anyway. I'm free. I have a choice. I can either pay them or not pay them. But then if I'm going and I'm paying them when I have been exempted from them, I have no right to complain about it. You know, I, I'm just, I'm doing it because I want to. Not because I have to. All right, now I pay taxes because I'm in bondage. All right? You know, you know, so much for being a free country. But, you know, that, that that's the reality of it. And people, Christian people who are in sin, they are there because they have yielded to it. And they, they are not in bondage to sin. We are free from sin. But that doesn't mean we're not capable of sin. Okay, We are very capable of sin if we yield our members to it. It's possible for us to go either way, but we have a choice. So when Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you, he was not saying saved people would never be deep in sin. That's not what he's saying. He was saying it should not have dominion over us. That's what he's saying. In other words, it is not stronger than you. Okay, It's not strong. If it's raining, it's because you are letting it. And Christians who are living in sin are living in sin by their own choice. Look what it says in verse 16. It says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thankful that ye were the, ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So these people, they did it right. They were in bondage to sin, after they were made free from sin, these particular ones became servants of righteousness. Now, do you all saved people do that? No. There are many people that have been freed from their sins, but yet they have yielded, they yield to those sins every day. There are saved people that have been freed from their sins, yet they're living in fornication. They don't have to do that, but they are doing that. Why? Because they're yielding to those things. But not everybody does that. There are some people, after they got saved, you know what they did? They're like, you know what? I'm saved. I'm victorious. I'm not going to do those things anymore. And you know what? They didn't do those things anymore. Why? Because they yielded their body as members of righteousness. Verse 19 says, I speak after the manner of men, because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity, "...even so now, yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness." So he's telling them, man, you, got, you need to do the right thing. You need to yield your members to righteousness. And that this, the reason many saved people aren't in church today is because they're yielding to sin. That's all there is to it. It's not that they didn't really get saved. It's that they've yielded to sin. So in verse 14, you know, when he says, "...for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law..." but under grace when he's saying you're not under the law the bible it teaches earlier in the book of romans that before we were saved we were under the law y'all get that before we were saved we were under the law now what the dispensationalists want to do with this verse is they want to talk about when you are under the law as in other words when we were under the dispensation of the law you know but now we've entered this new dispensation the dispensation of grace And therefore, you know, we're supposed, you know, now salvation is by grace, even though it was under the law at one time. No. All of us, we were under the law before salvation. All of us. Okay? We are all living in the New Testament dispensation. We were all born in the New Testament dispensation. But all of us at one time were under the law. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means, before we got saved, if we would have stood before God, what would we have been judged according to? We would have been judged according to the law. And what would have happened? We would have been found as a transgressor of the law, and therefore, we would have gone to hell. But now that we are saved, we are not under the law, but under grace. So when we stand before God, what are we going to get judged according to? Not according to the law, but according to the grace of God. According to the work of Jesus Christ. And so when you, in reality, if you want to talk about dispensation of, the dispensation of the law is still going on for everybody who's not saved. Because everybody who dies without Christ is going to be judged according to the law and they're going to go to hell. But those who are saved are under grace. Now where is that saying? That we now don't have to care about the law. Because this whole chapter he's teaching us we shouldn't yield ourselves service to sin. Well why not? We're not under the law, but under grace. He said, God forbid that we would about, you know, that we would transgress in sin, that grace might may abound. Nowhere is he teaching it's okay to do that. The trendies are dead wrong in what they do in this verse. They are dead, they are dead wrong. So the things that people did before they, they, they were saved only led to destruction and shame. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, For when, when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now everybody knows Romans six twenty three. We talk about Romans six twenty three all the time when we're out soul winning, but here and and we're accurate in how we portray it when we are preaching the gospel. But let's look at the context of Romans 6.23, because even a trendy knows 6.23. The old I knows 6.23. Everybody knows 6.23, but let's look at some context on this, and I, it should make us like Romans 6.23 just a little bit more, for us to as saved people. But what it's saying, what it's teaching right here, when ye were the servants of sin, or in verse 21, what fruit had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Before you were saved, when you were living in sin, What was the fruit of those things? Before you were under grace, what was the fruit of your works? Death. In other words, what did you earn? What did you accomplish before you were saved, before you were under grace? Death is what you accomplished. Death is what you accumulated. Death is what you earned. And we know that's talking about hell. That's what you earn. The things that you did in your life, whether it was just living for the flesh, or whether it was just trying to keep the law, the fruit of what you did while in sin was death. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And you are all in sin, and the only thing you ever accomplished, the only thing you ever produced in your life as a result of your sins was death. Many of these things, you're now ashamed of. And there are are many things that people can, that, you know, they don't want to talk about that they did before they were saved. Why? Because you're ashamed of those things. That was the fruit. That was the earthly fruit of what you got as a result of your sin. Things that you're now ashamed of. You didn't accomplish anything in those sins. And you know what you earned as a result of those sins? You earned an eternity in hell. You know, congratulations with that. You know, that's that's you know, that's nothing to be proud of. But what is the end for a saved person? Okay, look what it says there again in verse 22. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Now we actually have the ability to do some good things for God. Now we actually have the ability to to get some victory in our lives and to accomplish some things. And you know what the end result of those things are? Our holiness and at the end, everlasting life. We the things that we get now as a result of being under grace and an eternal life. Now make sure you get this. And this is why Romans 6:23 is there. Because he's wanting to make sure you understand that, okay, before you were saved. You clearly earn death. I don't think anybody would struggle with that. But here's the thing. Even after you get saved, the good works you do, they don't earn eternal life. Okay? But the end of what we get as a result of what we do when we're saved, or the the end of what we get as a saved person is eternal life. And so in case anybody might mistake, make a mistake and think, so now we are earning eternal life. He, he throws this in there and he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift's free, isn't it? You don't earn a gift. You don't work for a gift. So he's reminding them that the things that you're accomplishing, even though you actually do get to do some good things while you're saved, even though you do have the ability to be free from sin, even though the end result of a saved person and the works we do is eternal life, don't forget that that eternal life is a free gift. Don't forget that. Don't don't make that mistake. Don't think that you're hanging on to your eternal life, that you're maintaining your salvation through your works, and so he makes it very clear to mention that that salvation you have, that eternal life you have, is a gift. And so when you when you look at all these things before these verses, you know you really see just how important Romans six twenty three was. Not just for lost people to figure out that hey you're not saved, you've earned death, but it's also a reminder to save people who are doing some good things in their life to remember that hey these good things that you're accomplishing, hey. Okay, These things do not earn your salvation or eternal life. That was a free gift. And you're going to get the free gift whether you do good or not. You know why? Because you're under grace. So here's why, as a saved person, being under grace means we're going to, you know, get eternal life when we're judged or judged, I guess, by grace versus law is because of the fact that when we're under grace, our sins aren't held against us. When we're under grace, our sins have been cleansed. Doesn't mean we don't have any sins. It just means we're not held accountable for those sins. So now where's the boasting then? Well, I believe it's in chapter three. It says it's excluded. There's there's nothing to brag about on this. But at the same time, it's what it, it's been talking a lot about good works in this passage but it's making sure it reminds us again we have nothing to boast about in those works the only reason we're able to do these works is because of the fact that we have been saved because of the fact we have the holy spirit and he gives us the freedom to now make a choice we can either take that choice and we could throw our life away we can sin we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble or we can actually do the right thing and so for the wages of sin is death you know we were all there at one time whether by many transgressions or by few transgressions, you were there. We were all there at one time, but the gift of God is eternal life. It was a free gift. And nothing, nothing in chapter 6, nothing even implies that we get eternal life by yielding to righteousness. It's not there at all. It's teaching, though, that those who are under grace now can yield to righteousness or to sin. And either way, at the end of the day, if we're under grace, we're going to be judged according to grace. And we're sin abounds, grace much more abounds. We're still going to go to heaven even even if we sin. So what it means to be under grace, it means that we have a choice to live for sin or righteousness. The trendies are dead wrong when they're teaching people that you know what, you're under grace, we don't need to worry about the law anymore. We don't need to worry about the Old Testament. We don't need to worry about the Sermon on the Mount. We only need to worry about the Pauline epistles. That's a bunch of garbage. We should be trying to follow those laws. We should be trying to keep the commandments of God. We should be trying to live holy lives in Peter. We mentioned it this morning. God said, be holy for I am holy. God expects these things from us. He doesn't expect us to take advantage and just go living in sin. That's not what he expects at all. Turn over to Titus chapter 2. Because when we live for sin, we, we're gonna have a miserable life. But when we yield to the things of God, you know, we're gonna be happier. When we live a life in sin, not only are we gonna be miserable, but we will fail to bring forth fruit that will please God. And look at Titus chapter 2. But when we live for righteousness, when we live for righteousness, we will actually be capable of enjoying the Christian life and accomplishing great things for God, and we won't need to be ashamed that it's coming. Look what it says in Titus two eleven. It says, "For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we will live soberly and righteously." No, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now, stop there for a minute. So, what the trendies do? You know, they they'll say we're under grace, and all of a sudden, all the law goes out the window. But right here, it what does it say? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. What is teaching us? The grace of God. What does grace teach us? The grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Not that we will be, you know, godly in the next world. It's saying we should do this now. And notice it says denying ungodliness and worldly lust. So why is it these preachers that want to talk about grace all the time are always working so hard to be like the world? Doesn't the Bible say that the grace of God teaches us to deny worldly lust? That's what, that's what God's grace teaches. That's what true grace teaches. Grace teaches us that we shouldn't be like the rest of the world. Grace teaches us that, you know what? Jesus Christ gave us a free gift. He died on the cross and paid for our sins. You know what? We probably shouldn't take advantage of that. We should probably feel bad when we are sinning and we are committing sins that Jesus Christ had to die for. We should probably feel bad when... He left us all these commands, He left us all these examples to show up, please Him, and we're just not even paying attention to it. It ought to make us feel bad when He gave us the Holy Spirit that will help us have victory in our life, and we're just ignoring it and saying, you know what, I'm going to let these things that are not more powerful than God, I'm going to let them rule over me. I'm going to let sin have dominion over my body. The grace of God teaches us not to do that. The grace of God teaches us that Jesus Christ paid for our sins. Jesus Christ got victory. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to do those things, and we should not do those things. It teaches us we should live soberly, righteously. God, in this present world, we should be living that way. That's what it teaches us. And you know what? This wasn't just something that, you know, for back then, you know, we're supposed, you know, the, the trend has always got to be changing with the times. You know what? It says doing that in this present world. And it says looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be looking for that. We're supposed to be living this way until Jesus comes back. We have clear instructions here that we're supposed to live these ways. We're supposed to live godly in this present world, doing it until Jesus comes back. So this still applies in 2018. It absolutely still applies. And here's the thing. How do we know what, God, what is godly? How do we know what is righteous? You know how we know? It also teaches earlier in Romans, we know these things by the law. We would not know sin, except the law said, thou shalt not commit adultery. The way we know what sin is, is by the law, referring to the Old Testament. The way we know what righteousness is, is by the law. And when we admit we're sinners, the Bible says that we we establish the law. Whenever we admit we're sinners, you know what we're saying? We are consenting that the law is good. That's what we're doing. You know why many people will plead not guilty whenever they're charged with a crime? Because they don't think they did anything wrong. And that often makes the courts mad. And a lot of times they're harsher against somebody who pleads not guilty, but ends up being found guilty. But many people, the reason they will plead not guilty is because I don't agree with that law. And that's all it takes. But for us, when we admit we're sinners, we are saying that the law is good referring to the Old Testament. And these people that say the Old Testament does not matter, the Old Testament law does not apply... According to what we read in the book of Romans, I'm afraid to say these people have not admitted that they're sinners. Oh, I admit I'm a sinner. Okay, well, what is a sin? It's a transgression of the law. You say that doesn't matter. You say that's not in effect. Because the Bible says we're not under the law, but under grace. Misrepresenting that passage. Not even getting what it says. If a person admits they're a sinner, they are admitting that the law is good. You know what they're doing? They're saying the Old Testament is good. The Old Testament is right. I am a transgressor of that law. And therefore, I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. If the Old Testament law doesn't matter, then we don't need a Savior. But we do need a Savior because it does matter. So let me ask you this. If we've got to recognize we're a sinner in order to be saved then how are people going to figure out they're a sinner if we don't preach against sin? How are people going to figure out that they need a Savior if we don't show them what's in the Old Testament law? We have to show them these things. We have to preach these things. We have to set an example. And we've got got to show them that so they will see that they are sinful and they will realize they need a Savior and call the Lord for salvation. And then they will be under grace. And you know what the grace of God is going to teach them now? Let's deny that stuff. That stuff that we got saved... Those sins were going to get us thrown into hell. Why would we go back and do those things again? If I got out of prison, a prison that kept me locked up, that would all, you know, that chose what I ate, that chose when I could see my family, that had all my rules for me. If they said, "All right, we're free," why would I go back and try living in there again? Why would why would I do that? Why would I go back to something that kept me away from things that were good? That would be that would be foolish for me to do that. And I'm I am now free. I mean, I don't know, a prison might take somebody in if they wanted to. I I read about one lady, she like got out of prison, wanted to go back to prison. And so she went to a bank, she robbed the bank, and then she went took the money, went outside, and just started throwing it to everybody. Got arrested and went back to prison. Why did she wanted to go back to prison. So I guess we could all go back, you know, we could all go to prison if we wanted to. Just go do that. Just go, just go tell somebody you have a gun and give you all the money. Just do that and you go to prison for that probably. It's not, it's not that hard. Anybody can go to prison. Anybody can be in bondage to sin. But we don't have to be and we shouldn't be. And just real quickly, look at chapter 7. Alright, so after it said all this, after all these things, you know, we've looked at all these things. Look at says in chapter 7. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the one which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from the, that law so that she is no adulteress those should be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What it's saying there is, it gives the example of a woman. If a woman is married to a man, according to the law, she's, she's stuck with that guy. But according to the law, if he dies, she's now free to marry another. And the truth is, those of us who are saved, we've been delivered from that law. We are now freed to marry another. We are now free to follow after Christ. In other words, we don't have to live that miserable existence of the past. We now are free to follow after Christ. And that is exactly what we should do. And this this butchering of the scripture that the trendies have done with chapter 14 is so easy to see through if you read the whole chapter. What if you read If you read the verse itself, it's easy to see the dispensationalists are wrong on this. But even the old IFD, many of them are wrong when they're teaching that if you're truly saved, you will do the works. No, that's not the case, because it's whoever you yield your members to. Because I'm actually free, I can do good or bad. I'm capable of both. If I do bad, I'm a shameful person. I'm in rebellion against God. I shouldn't do that. The Lord's going to chase me on this earth. But either way, I'm under grace. So when I stand before God, and I hate to break this to you, if you're like some of these people in the Baptist world, but people who have put their faith and trust in Christ and accepted the free gift, because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hate to tell you this, but even if they're not very good Christians, they're going to go to heaven. I know we want them to go to hell. Oh man, I, I, if I have to go to church, they have to go to church too. I thought we went to church because we can't. I thought we went to church because we're now free from sin and we're able to do the right thing. I didn't know we had to do this. I thought I went soul winning because I'm free to do that. I thought I followed the commandments of God because I'm free to do that because I love the Lord. I didn't know I had to do it. I, that, I, I don't see that in the Bible. The truth is, it's not there. And so what I just showed you here, this is the middle of the road position on the under grace. And that sounds terrible. I hate saying that. But that, that is, that is biblical. And you know, we have no business turning to the right hand or to the left. Deuteronomy 5.32 says, ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God hath commanded you. Ye shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You follow it as it says it. And I think, I think I showed enough verses, enough examples, that that's how we preach it right here. You don't have as much control over people. Alright? I'm gonna have a tough time controlling you with that. I wish I could tell you all I'd go to hell if you quit going to this church. You know? I wish I could tell you all you'd go to hell if you don't tithe. I think we'd have a lot more people coming to church and tithing, things like that, but unfortunately, um, that's not biblical. You know? We are, we are under grace. But that doesn't mean I ain't gonna preach that I'm not. I'm not gonna preach that you ought to go to church and they ought to tithe and you ought to keep the commandments. You better believe we're gonna continue to let it rip on that, and we we're, we're gonna call that stuff out because if you're saved, you should not be doing that, and you can help it. There are some people that can't help their problems. There are some people that have mental issues and literally can't control themselves. But you are not like that. You are free. So if you're living a wicked life, we're going to get all over your face. We're going to jump all over you because you don't have to do that. We're going to hold you to a higher standard than somebody with a handicap. You don't have that handicap. You're free. And you shouldn't take advantage of the fact that you're under grace. And that's one of the reasons we're here as a church. To provoke one another to love and good works. Because we need sometimes we need that push. We're all going to need it. So I hope that was a help. Let's pray, dear Lord. Thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll help us to uh, not take advantage of your grace. And I tell you, I pray you'll help us to uh, do what your grace teaches us, and that is to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And I pray we'll do that. Looking forward to that day when we are just like you and we no longer have to battle this flesh. And that is our blessed hope, dear God. And I just pray you'll help us to be victorious. In your name we pray. Amen.